The world trembles at the brink of self-destruction. Doctor Strange has sworn to turn it from its fate. But the world is large, full of many dangers. The mystic master cannot hope to know. Come, enter, see the end. My name is Conrad, and welcome to the 13th episode of Stranger by the Dozen, a weekly podcast where we recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, 12 issues at a time. This week, I'd like to welcome Drew back to the show. Welcome back, dude. Hey, what's going on? All right. Uh, you can find this show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and any fine podcast app. You can contact the show at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com, on Twitter at strangerbythe12, that's strangerbythe12, on Tumblr at strangerbythedozen.tumblr.com, or on Facebook or Instagram by searching for Stranger by the Dozen. Give the show a five-star review, and I'll read the review on the air. If you want to read along with the podcast this episode, only the two Doctor Strange stories are actually on Mar- Marvel Unlimited, and those can also be found in Essential Doctor Strange Volume 3 or Marvel Masterworks Doctor Strange Volume 5. The Defenders sto- issues can be found on Essential Defenders Volume 2 and 3 or Marvel Masterworks Defenders Volumes 4 and 5. So we'll have a little Solo Strange this episode, then a heaping helping of Defenders. Uh, these Defenders issues are as awesome as they are crazy, so buckle in and watch out for Murder Deer, Bozos, and Elves with Guns. Oh man, it's going to be so good. <laughs> so we start with Doctor Strange 12 from February 1976. Final Curtain, Steve Englehart author. Gene Colan artist, Tom Palmer, ink art and color, Tom Orzakowski, letterer, and Marv Wolfman, editor. I just want to point out really fast, I think the cover of this issue is super badass, even though it's a giant fake out, but still, super badass. <laughs> it's fun, it's uh, Doctor Strange, as like a, like in his Doctor Strange costume, but it's a, he's a skeleton. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. A world stands at the brink of oblivion. And only one man can might save it. But now that man is dead. <laughs> <laughs> so we open on both Doctor Strange in a dreamlike world in the Temple of the Ancient One, where he's apparently gotten his magic back. And then in the real world, the astral projection of Baron Mordo advances on the mystic aged Genghis. So there's a bit of a recap here, and I'll refresh everybody else as well. Um, Eternity! has said that the world will end, and that if Doctor Strange wants to stop it, he must first contend with four aspects of his personality. The vain surgeon, the drunken lout, the mystic student, and the crazy superhero. Uh, Strange has managed to best the first two, and now it's time to deal with the last two. Meanwhile, during all this, uh, Baron Mordo sits and meditates with Genghis. So... At the Temple of the Ancient One, the man himself leads Doctor Strange to a tightrope over an endless chasm, which was apparently the final test of Strange's training. The two sorcerers go out on the tightrope and chill out, basically. I mean, um, the, what else are you going to do I on mean, a tightrope? Absolutely. A, a, as you do, for sure. Yeah. The Ancient One does some quick tarot card reading, reflects, reflecting on the nature of death and stuff. Um, when Doc, when Doctor Strange tries to move things along, the Ancient One summons some demon monsters, which Strange quickly dispatches, and that seems to be good enough for the Ancient One, and Strange is on to the next test. Hooray! Woo! 
As he heads out into the snows of the Himalayas, Strange reflects that that, that, that must have been a, just like a copy or something of the Ancient One, who is, of course, now one with the universe, as yeah. we saw in a previous episode. Dude is totally dead, or separated from his id, or ego. Yeah, one of his those ego two. was destroyed, and now he's one with the universe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, out in the snow, our Doctor Strange, confronted by Superhero Strange. Yes. From that boo from that brief period in the 60s where they tried to rebrand him as a more conventional superhero and then the series was canceled wait what do you so, mean what do you mean stupid he's got that awesome blue mask and those rocking blue clothes look at that thing that's so awesome so now they're changing the story behind him a little bit they're kind of retconning it retroactive continuity saying that this form was too confident in his power and that's why strange ended up retiring back in the day <laughs> Anyhow, uh, there's a big wizard fight, and our Strange is victorious. He goes to remove the mask from Super Strange, only to find a skull underneath. Spooky! I, I would say that this is uh, too spooky for me. It's semi-spooky. Yeah. Luckily, then the skull, um, first introducing itself as, once again, Death wearing another mask, changes shape to become Baron Mordo, who's been thinking about Strange the whole time he's been meditating with Genghis. Now, Mordo is mad, is still mad, but no longer mindless. You know, it's not really obsessive or anything to be thinking about Doctor Strange the entire time you're meditating. I mean, you gotta, mo- you know, you meditate what motivates you, buddy. Sure. Something. I don't know. I would <laughs> just be thinking about other things. Yeah. But so Strange and Mordo fight, and it's kind of neat because... Mordo is still in the super strange costume, so they look very similar. And uh, instead of trying to kill Doctor Strange, the uh, Mordo's magics are designed to drive him mad. They almost succeed when Clea, who's been trying to contact Stephen all issue, finally gets through and helps Stephen counteract the madness. However, the fact that Strange was almost beaten by an unexpected foe is all the proof eternity needs for the weakness of the human race, as the most careful preparations are useless against the malignant might of madness. That's rough. I mean... It's super rough, because with that, eternity destroys the entire Earth! Oh no, not again! So much for Marvel Comics, man. Uh, It's time to move on. No, we Doctor had a good run, you know. Yeah, maybe do a Doctor Fate show or something? Yeah, that's nah. <laughs> Let's move on to Doctor Strange number 13 from April 1976. Planet Earth is no more. Again, the Marvel Universe had a good run. I mean, we didn't need this more. Let's... Nah, three times it, tell us the, it tells us the Planet Earth is no more. Steve Englehart author Gene Colan scenery... Tom Palmer, inks and colors, John Costanza lettering, Marv Wolfman, editor. So this one ends up being kind of a quick one, I think, like in terms of recap purposes. But the art's super duper awesome in a trippy space kind of way. So FYI, uh, planet Earth is no more. Yeah. (laughs) Doctor Strange is floating through space, still alive because of the immortality he received a a few issues ago as part of being the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, but that's got to still be brutal in his lungs and his eyes and a whole bunch of other things. I kind of imagine that he's summoned his uh, magic space invisible spacesuit or something. <laughs> <laughs> but he's kind of at a loss because he's still alive, but what's he going to do now that the Earth is destroyed? But he 
grasping at, grasps at straws and remembers that he saw a nightmare early on in this adventure. So he enters his astral form and goes to the dimension of dreams. There he confronts Nightmare, and we find out that once again, Nightmare has taken Eternity hostage. And like, come on, buddy, we've been we've done this before. Haven't we been down this road like multiple times at yeah, this point? At least once more. And like before, it turns out that Eternity is really just a, been captured because he was kind of asleep or something and not actively resisting being held captive. And Nightmare just kind of dumped his body in the dream dimension, just hoping no one came by to, to take a gander at it, you know? You know, for a an entity that's basically all of existence, he really should be more careful about these kind of things. Uh, you know, sometimes you're so big you just don't worry about the small stuff. That's what I say. <laughs> so... Doctor Strange rouses Eternity, and he's like, Sorry, bro, the last three issues where I challenged you and destroyed the Earth were all part of my dream. And when Eternity dreams, he dreams big, too. So that despite it being a dream that Earth was totally destroyed, undoing it would mess with the space-time continuum so much. Like, way too much, so super sorry. Uh, I'm not going to undo what I've done and bring Earth back. All right, so end of series, then. Let's uh, let's move on to Dr. Fate, then. Almost. <laughs> Eternity also explained the reason why he was taken captive by Nightmare was that people on Earth have recently begun turning their interests to mind exploration, and they've opened too many doorways to other dimensions, including Nightmares, and Nightmare is so powerful because at any given time... Uh, one-third of the world's population is asleep, and it's like, yeah, yeah, mind exploration. We know what you're talking about. They're talking about dropping acid. They're talking about the LSD. (laughs) Anyway, Doctor Strange kind of yells at Eternity to get him to fix Earth. Like, come on, buddy. And this pixes off the god beams, and he's about to uh, strike Doctor Strange down when Eternity's hand is stayed, and Bwaga! That's the Ancient One's music! Oh, shoot. Eternity and the Ancient One get in a wrestling match. Eventually, Eternity decides that while he can't undo his destruction of Earth, he can remake it from the ground up. Yay! And this is the, uh, this, so he does so, and I think this is the fourth time this has happened in the course of the podcast. So, basically, like, they can go ahead and retcon anything that happened on Earth with this uh, new recreation. There's definitely been a couple recreate like Ern- Eter- Eternity has redone the Earth twice, I think. One time he redid it and then made uh, Doctor Strange Steven Sanders, which everyone seems to have just forgotten about at this point. Right, and he gave him that awesome superhero uh, persona. No, that was afterwards. Oh, that was right, the help right. of the superhero persona. But then um, Sisseneg did it once when he became God and redid existence. And then there was sort of a minor one where, where Valkyrie's body's father <laughs> uh, played a magic harmonica, and that destroyed the Earth. But then Ben Grimm was able to play the harmonica. Ben Grimm, the thing from the Fantastic Four, was able to play the harmonica again, and that remade the Earth again. Man, I can't <laughs> wait for the time when the Earth is destroyed when a hobo eats a sandwich. It's possible. <laughs> I wouldn't ask anything. But so, yeah, the... So there's actually a pretty awesome page showing the recreation of Earth. Algaes to lizards to men to civilization. No, this page is pretty and, awesome. It's showing, like, you know, crusaders and Vikings and dinosaurs. Yeah, it's awesome. It's good. Um, at the end, everything is back as, we sh- as it should be. 
And we learn that as well as being one with the universe, the Ancient One is one with eternity itself. Oh, snap. Yeah, as we see the starry body of eternity walk away with the Ancient One's face. The issue ends with Doctor Strange sitting in his study in the Sanctum Sanctorum, coming down. And then there's the next issue thing that says, The Mystic Mage Battles Dracula! But that won't happen on the show until episode 15, because now it's time to get into the meat of Steve Gerber's excellent Defenders run, starting with Defenders number 30 from December 1975. Gold Diggers of Fear. Uh, Bill Mantlow Story, Sam Granger Art, Jack Abel Inks, Karen Mantlow Lettering, George Russo's Coloring, Marf Wolf- Marv Wolfman Edits and Stuff. Ah, but first, so before we get to Steve Gerber, we have to deal with this weirdness. I don't know. This is just a, a weird one-shot story. So we start with Doctor Strange walking around the streets of New York, just in full costume and stuff. Yeah, he's not going to stand out at all. It's New York. I guess. He's all alone in the street. <laughs> um, and he's surprised by a trio of multicolored gangsters. There's a green suit. There's a purple suit. There's a, there's a yellow suit. And they give Doctor Strange a note from Nighthawk. Apparently, they haven't read it because the note tells Strange that Kyle Richmond has been taken hostage and is currently tied up in Los Angeles. And Strange should pretend there is a ransom to be paid. So Strange leads the goons to the Sanctum Sanctorum. And while they're waiting in the parlor, Strange goes to the study and magically contacts Nighthawk himself. Apparently, uh, Pennyworth bought an old movie studio back before he went full evil. And when Richmond went to visit the place, it turned out to be crawling with Magia goons. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, Drew, but uh, Marvel didn't want to say the word mafia for no, some no, reason. or maybe I'm they totally were... aware of uh, the Magia goons. Yeah, yeah they, were, they or they were prevented from doing so by the comics code or something. I'm not clear on it, but either that or they say magia instead of mafia, either that or the mafia stopped them from doing that. Ooh, that's a good conspiracy theory. I like <laughs> it. So, Doctor Strange pinpoints Nighthawk's location and then contacts the Hulk and tells him to start jumping to California. Then he snags Valkyrie and they teleport to L.A. as well after confirming that Wong has knocked out the goons in the parlor and is about to send them to the cops. It's a good, a lot of multitasking right now. It's very good. So the trio arrives at the movie set at about the same time and starts doing recon on the studio. Inside, we see Kyle Richmond being menaced by the evil gangster Tapping Tommy. Oh, man. And look, Tapping, tapping Tommy is literally Fred Astaire in Top Hat Tales in the game. He, re- he and, really is. And then he literally tap dances around while menacing a tied-up Kyle Richmond. This is like this is like a, a Batman-level villain right here. Absolutely. It super is. So Tapping Tommy starts to ex- explain his backstory, but nobody cares about that when the Hulk crams through the wall and it's time to fight these goons. Things go pretty well, even when a robot is activated to go toe-to-toe with the Hulk. In the melee, Richmond gets free and changes into the Nighthawk costume. And all seems to be in the bag when Tapping Tommy throws two balls full of the most powerful gas in the Marvel Universe. As it instantly knocks out the entire Defenders team, including the Hulk. So a, I'm going to say it, a Q-tier villain knocks out the Hulk. Oh, yeah, man. He takes the Hulk down. Not not A, not B, not C, not even D. Q. I'm just going to say Q. And 
not even through some sort of like squirrel girl combination of like luck and pluckiness or something like that. This is a straight victory. Yeah, it's good time. Sure, I guess. I think, and I'm pretty sure this is Taff. Wait, no. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was just checking to see if Taffing Tommy actually shows up, and he does not. So, okay. <laughs> so, the team wakes up in the middle of a crazy, like, showcase dance number, complete with dozens of robot dancers in tuxedos and fancy dresses. The team comes to and quickly breaks free of their restraints, restraints and starts wrecking house on these dumb robots. Well, yeah, because this is like the worst villain ever. Yeah. It's a little funny because Valkyrie can't even like hurt robots that identify as female. So she has to concentrate on the tuxedo bot. That is a bizarre weakness, by the way. It's like, I guess I could see like her not being able to fight women. That's fine. But these robots, uh, these robots are not like they might be. They, they might have be sculpted to have like robo boobs or something, but they are not um, actual. Ro- they're not actual women. I mean, come on, they're they're just yeah. robots for crying out loud. Yeah, but everybody manages to take them down. They eat pretty basically in the end. Everybody easily defeats the robots, um, and as well as tapping Tommy and Tommy's special effects specialist, ending in a sweet headbutt by the Hulk to Tommy while the rest of the team shares a chuckle about right, it. I have a problem with it. What? Like, what? I'm just saying, if the Hulk headbutted somebody, their head would just be, like, crushed in. Now, this is a fun... That's a fun way to end it, so that everybody gets a... Like, literally, all three... All four members of the team actually managed to get a line in about the Hulk headbutting this dude. <laughs> like, Nighthawk says... Nighthawk's like... You're a little crude sometimes, buddy, but always effective. And Valkyrie's like, Taffy Tommy will be out for quite some time. And Hulk's like, too bad. Hulk liked the little man. And Doctor Strange just straight up mugs to the camera and says, I hope you never like any of us the way you liked him. I don't think we could stand it. <laughs> freeze frame laugh, the end. You know, this would have been a perfect opportunity for like a, a freeze frame jumping high five. It really, I'm surprised they didn't have it. Maybe that just wasn't a big a, a thing that was done at the time. Anyway, let's get going to Defenders 31 from January 1976. Nighthawk's Brain. Steve Gerber, writer. Sal Buscema and Jim Mooney, artist. Kay Holloway, letterer. Petra Goldberg, colorist. Marv Wolfman, editor. Here we Go. <laughs> we open up with Nighthawk having a crazy nightmare, like he's flying through this black dreamscape, eventually coming across a mournful Trish star lamenting her lost arm, and then a mysterious hand grabs him by his ankle and pulls him into a dark ocean. Then he wakes up and finds himself flying into a tree branch in Central Park. Uh, some hippies in the park see Nighthawk walking around groggily but decide not to help him. Then Nighthawk is hit by a blaster held by a black, hairy hand attached to a voice that politely apologizes for taking him out this way. Meanwhile, there's a, okay, <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, like the next, the rest of this show basically is going to be me saying meanwhile constantly. Oh, I bet. There's, there's so much meanwhile. Everything's happening at once. It's awesome. So meanwhile, in Coney Island, uh, Valkyrie is hanging out with that dang Jack Norris who I hate so much. Uh, Jack is trying to impress Val with, like, the carnival activities, but isn't having much success. Eventually, they do one of those test-your-strength things with, like, the mallet and the bell and stuff. And Jack does pretty good, earning a teddy bear prize. 
Then Valkyrie takes a try and completely destroys the machine. I don't know what this guy was expecting. Uh, like, okay, sure, you're trying to impress... Man, Jack, Jack cannot get through his head that Valkyrie is a superhero and not the woman he married anyway. Like, literally... The woman he married's personality was destroyed by being forcefully mated by extra-dimensional god beings. And then a new personality was grafted onto this body by an Asgardian uh, goddess. Yeah, like, quite literally. <laughs> get, it, get it together, buddy. It's, uh, it's clear. Uh, dude is in, like, deep, 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 deep denial. Seriously. So the pair run away to escape angry carnies, and things remain awkward between them. Meanwhile, again, in the Ozarks... The Hulk is observing a doe and a fawn on a wildlife reserve. No hunting. When suddenly, a shot rings out, and some hunters kill the doe. You jerks! The Hulk agrees with me and advances on the men, shouting, Men killed Bambi's mother! Hulk is very passionate about his early Disney movies, just saying. It's true. Uh, he throttles these dudes, throwing them into trees and stuff, and skipping them across a lake. It's crazy. He grabs the fawn and feels kinship with it, and, you know, he calls it Bambi, which would have been a copyright problem when this comic first came out, but actually isn't anymore. Yeah. And jumps off to find a smart person to teach him how to care for the deer. So, meanwhile, again, this is the last time I'm going to say meanwhile. So, Nighthawk wakes up tied to a lab table, looking up at the faces of the Headmen. You might remember them from, like, two episodes ago. They're a trio of two mad scientists and an Indian psychic. The two mad scientists are victims of their super science. One of them uh, shrunk his bones and is now has a big, loose, gloppy face. And the other guy is a human head grafted onto a gorilla body. Remember, kids. They plan to do... Remember, kids. Super science never pays. I mean, definitely get your parents' permission before you do super Seriously. science. <laughs> they plan to do... And in fact, these guys plan to do something evil and super scientific to Nighthawk. It's oh, man. bad. Super. Yeah. Meanwhile, in Las Vegas, Charles Wizzo Lester and his wife are hailing a cab after losing a bunch of money at the casino. The cabbie takes a wrong turn, and they tap him on the shoulder. When they do so, the cabbie's body collapses, revealing an elf with a gun. Blam! Ah, uh, yes. Another one of these. So, uh, the Hulk wakes up. <laughs> or so the Hulk is jumping to the sanctum to help Bambi when he meets up with, with Nighthawk who it seems very clearly there's something off with. His body is being inhabited by the spirit of Chandu the Mystic. Oh, no. Nightdew? Chonhawk? Chonhawk. I like that. Yeah. The Hulk leads Chonhawk back to the sanctum, and Chonhawk is amazed at what he finds. The powerful magic items in the sanctum, plus the Hulk and Valkyrie. Also, uh, the Hulk shows up with Bambi and begs everyone to help take care of it. And Jack keeps cracking jokes about the Hulk caring for another living being. The Hulk is so much more enduring than you, buddy. That's all I got to say. So eventually, uh, Sean Hawk uses his magical abilities to paralyze strange Hulk, Valkyrie, and Jack Norris. And says he'll be back soon to do evil stuff to them. Then pieces out to tell the other headmen what he's found. Once he leaves the room, Strange immediately breaks the spell because he's a much better wizard than Chandu. Well, no shit. Sorcerer Supreme. Come on. Yeah. That doesn't mean, you know, nothing. Exactly. The defenders give chase, leading doctors, um, which causes Doctor Strange and Sean Hawk to fall into a separate reality where they have a big wizard fight. 
Or, I'd say it's a big wizard fight, but really Doctor Strange completely outclasses Sean Hawk and knocks him out. The defenders meet on the rooftop, or on a rooftop, and demask Sean Hawk to reveal that Kyle Richmond is still under the hood. It's a brain transplant! Oh, no. Brain transplant! Which takes us to Defenders 32 from February 1976. Musical chairs, or mines. That's a pretty great touch there. It's like crossed out with pen. Yeah, it's crazy. Steve Gerber writer, Sal Buscema and Jim Mooney artist, Petra Goldberg colorist, John Costanza letterer, Marv Wolfman editor. So it looks like the Defenders have called in the big guns to help Nighthawk as Damon Hellstrom, son of Satan, attempts to exercise the demons from Nighthawk's body. But it doesn't work. Uh, Nighthawk comes to and starts insulting everyone. And finally, Doctor Strange does a deep scan of his mind, finding out that his brain isn't his own. It's real rough. Yeah. Strange projects the uh, face of the brain's owner, John to the Mystic, onto Nighthawk's body. But none of the team recognizes him. They've never seen this guy. It's this guy. Until J- Who? Yeah. Until Jack Norris, being finally being useful for once, remembers seeing Chandu perform at a state fair. He likes fairs. It seems like but if Chandu... Like, this guy spends an awful oh, lot of time at state fairs. It's possible. Yeah. But if Chandu's brain is a Nighthawk, where is Nighthawk's brain? Answer. It's floating in a metal pan, being menaced by the... Gorilla by Nagin, the gorilla member of the Headmen. The Melty Dude worries what'll happen when the Defenders learn what's been done. And Nagin introduces their newest team member, Ruby, who is pretty terrifying, actually. It's like, it's this woman who doesn't have a head. But instead has- she's a pretty well-built lady, like, and she's got a, a uh, high-necked, uh, popped-collar leotard that's, like, open to her belly button. Yeah, but, uh... She- uh, but in- instead of a head, she's got a red globe. Yeah, it's super science, kids. It doesn't pay. And like a, a golden cuff instead of a neck that sort of leads to this re- head-sized red sphere. And the sphere can change shape. Like she uh, changes it to look like the Melty Dude's face. And then she produces a bunch of crazy octopus tentacles out of it. It's all madness. Things are getting weird at the Headman house. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> After a brief check-in with the Defenders as they fly out to, to try to recover Nighthawk's brain, including Nighthawk himself, uh, wobbly flying along, we go to the brain of Nighthawk, where he's in some sort of a Cartesian reverie? <laughs> like, okay, because like Descartes had all this stuff that was basically like, what if we're just brains in the right. jars and stuff? So I'm just saying this is generally Cartesian, where he reflects on his life story while he's just a brain in the jar, yeah. you know. Um, which, you know, I mean, hey, we might all be brains in a yeah, jar. Unless you can prove otherwise, that's, it's on you. But so, after being attacked by actual Nighthawks and dodging the scythe of death, we start to follow the life of Kyle Richmond. But this is a Doctor Strange podcast, not a Nighthawk one, so I'm not going to get you into it. Uh, basically, Nighthawk hates authority and his parents die every once in a while. The Defenders arrive at the same suburban neighborhood where the Hulk watched kids play jump rope and then destroyed a house back in Defenders 21. (laughs) Upon entering a nearby house, not the destroyed one, a nearby one that's the headman's um, home base, the team encounters a weird statue thing that promptly explodes, knocking them all out. And this turns out to be a ruby's head in another form. 
Now the headmen have all the defenders captive, and their plans for world domination can begin. Which takes us directly to Defenders 33 from March 1976. Webbed hands, warm heart. There's some great titles in this series, man. And just just for this like opening page on this issue, it features a snarling deer. You guys, um, I'm gonna put this. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get all the angry Bambi pages posted on the internet for this one, like on God. Facebook and, and on the Facebook and the Twitter and stuff, because you, every, every time I talk about how crazy, I, I, like when I'm talking to my friends and stuff in IRL about how crazy these defenders issues are. The first thing I go to is Bambi is Bambi being angry because it's a series of just crazy faces of a deer with like bared teeth and unlimited hate in its eyes. It's a pretty angry deer, like no joking. Which leads me to ask the question, how much, how many drugs and how, what, I just don't even know. I mean, a fair amount, you know? So, through flashbacks, we learn that before the Defenders set out to try to recover Nighthawk's brain, uh, Doctor Strange did a triple body swap, moving Jack Norris into Chon Hawk's body. And then Sean do the mystic's brain into the body of Bambi the fawn. It's not, it's crazy. So, so I just want to be clear right now. Okay. Yeah. There's three people. So first there's Jack Norris, right? He's got no personality. He's just comatose on the bed, right? Sure. There's Bambi, which is a deer who's basically possessed now by the spirit of Sean do the mystic. Then there's a, I'm going to call him Jack Hawk now. <laughs> Which is Jack Norris's brain or Jack Norris's personality possessing the body of Nighthawk, which contains the brain of Chandu the Mystic. <sighs> it's, what is going on? <laughs> so many drugs, Conrad. So many drugs. So now the defenders have been captured, but the headmen still think Night uh, Jack Hawk, I guess, is their buddy Chandu. And Jack Norris has to think fast to fit in. He does a fairly bad job. And the defenders are fitted with mental with metal helmets that will alter their thought pattern. Meanwhile, we uh, jump to a couple, Mitchell and Sissy, going for a canoe ride on the lagoon in Central Park. So far, so good. When a bunch of scaly red hands rise from the water and a bunch of alien dudes kidnap them taking them back to their ship, which then flies out of the lagoon to points unknown. What, what is... I d- okay. So, I don't know about this one. This is like, weird. I cannot, okay, I get yeah. the leprechaun thing, like shooting people, because it seems like a constant pattern of this, but this is... I don't know what you're talking about. Oy. Back with the headmen, Jack Hawk is getting the evil guys to spill the beans of their evil schemes and backstories. It's not super clear how they intend to conquer the Earth, but that is definitely the end goal. Meanwhile, uh, Chandu Bambi, uh, Chandi? Yeah, okay, escapes the Sanctum Sanctorum by jumping through a window, but Chandi is then captured by, by one of the red fish dudes we saw from earlier. The fawn is then teleported to a Greek temple full of weird technology, and a couple of kid, um, the couple kidnapping victims and a few more end like a giraffe. It's getting weird right now. Back with the headmen, uh, headmen, the defenders come to, and the bad guys are about to explain what, what, what's going on, but Hulk has apparently seen Commando and instead just decides to start wrecking house. <laughs> Don't give him a chance to explain what's going on. So 
so quickly, um, the headman suburban base is basically reduced to Flinders. Early in the fight, uh, Jackhawk, not a trained warrior, flies away with Kyle Richmond's brain to keep it safe. Meanwhile, the rest of the defenders manage to beat the headman pretty well, and the heads only escape because Ruby is able to shoot out a giant mass of red goop to delay the defenders while the evil scientists retreat. So, Jackhawk is making his way back to the Second Sanctorum, and he's caught in an energy beam, which pulls him up to a spaceship. Inside the spaceship are those red, scaly fish dudes, and their obvious master, Nebulon! Nebulon is back! Oh, oh yeah! Man. Well, okay, that, you know, this is not nearly as strange as the whole Leprechaun thing, which I still don't understand. What? Anyhow, after the break... A mine is a terrible thing to get oh, wasted. Man. So we're at the halfway point. Let's take a break and come back soon with the rest of these issues. As this now three-way fight between the Defenders, the Headman, and Nebulon and his alien allies continues to escalate. Welcome back. I'm Conrad, he's Drew, and we are Stranger by the Dozen. You can find the show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and any podcast app. You can contact the podcast at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com, on Twitter at strangerbythetwelve, on Tumblr at strangerbythedozen.tumblr.com, or on Facebook or Instagram by searching for Stranger by the Dozen. Okay, a quick recap. The Defenders are fighting a two-sided conflict at this point. It's Doctor Strange, Valkyrie, and the Hulk versus the Headman and and Nebulon with his alien allies, I guess. And then there's Nighthawk, whose brain is in a jar and things are just going really weird, just kind of in general. So we start with Defenders 34 from April 1976. This issue is dedicated to my dad, who helped me get two jokes that are kind of obscure in the process of this comic, this issue. <laughs> the first is just the title. I think we're all bozos in this book. Uh, Steve Gerber, writer. Sal Buscema and Jim Mooney, artist. Irv Watanabe, letterer. Irene Vartanoff, colorist. Marv Wolfman, editor. So... If you're my dad, you know that the title of this comic is a reference to the comedy album by the Firesign Theater, I Think We're All Bozos on This Bus, which is pretty funny, whether you're a Clem or a Barney. Anyhow, <laughs> yeah, it's an, it's an in-joke to a 40-year-old comedy album. I don't care. We, we start with Nighthawk aboard Nebulon's ship. Nebulon remains extremely dreamy with his golden skin, silver hair, giant silver belt, and leotard made of stars. Oh man, so dreamy. It's true. His ship, however, is full of bipedial red fishmen. 
as you do. But so let me recap Nighthawk here very quickly, right? Just so we're clear, because I got to keep saying this so you can keep it in mind. Nighthawk is the body of Kyle Richmond, the transplanted brain of Chandu the Mystic, surgically implanted. Then, with Jack Norris's consciousness swapped into Chandu's brain, Chandu Chandu's personality now resides in the body of a fawn. Freak out. <laughs> the angriest deer ever. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, uh, Nebulon explains that following their fight way back in Defenders 14, that instead of dying, he was teleported to the planet of these fishmen, the Lubderdites. And he's learned from them that it's the responsibility of all higher beings to educate lesser ones, and humans are the least of all. <laughs> so, Nebulon and the Lubderd- Ludberdites, I got it now, Ludberdites, okay. are kidnapping people from all over the world, like the couple from the canoe last episode, or Chanbi the deer, <laughs> to study them, to find a way... For humans to know peace. Uh, Jackhawk is then teleported to the holding area where Chandu starts trying to attack him. That's Chandu and Bambi combined. Did I mention that uh, this whole time Jackhawk has Kyle Richmond's brain in a bowl with him? Because he totally does. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering how that happened because he didn't have it before. Yeah, he did. He stole it during the melee. Oh, at, right, um, right, at the right, right, house. right. And then as he fled from it, he was abducted by the aliens. So he still sort of got it. It's not very well hanged. It's like it's like an open bowl. Like that thing needs a lid real bad. It needs to be like you a know? Tupperware container or something. I don't know. Something. Because yeah. like he's sloshing the liquid around in there a lot. And I feel like every time he does that, Kyle Richmond like loses several memories. You know? He forgets how to say the word banana. Exactly. Back at the uh, destroyed former headquarters of the headmen, the defenders pull their way out of the pink goo that Ruby left behind after their fight. As they do, the suburban guy whose house was destroyed by Hulk a few issues ago starts taunting them, and Hulk throws a wall into the guy's partially rebuilt house, destroying it. Pro tip, don't taunt the big green dude who's angry and super strong. Never do that. Yeah, I mean... I feel like this part's really played for laughs, but like this is like a, a a dude with a wife and a kid. It's sad. It's not like funny, but whatever. Back at the uh, Sanctum Sanctorum, Wong is having some glaziers fix the window that Chanbi escaped through, and uh, Strange gives some orders. Like he's you know he'll be in his study as not to be disturbed, and the workers are like, "Hey man, don't talk to uh, Wong so mean like that." And Valkyrie is like, uh, they like to be rude to each other. Don't kink shame or something along those lines. <laughs> this is uh, like, Drew, you're excellent. But I do, if there's one time I wish Duncan could be here, it's now because Duncan's such a huge, such a, a crazy Wong supporter that these these workers supporting his case would really um, give him a one up on me. No, I totally would. And he's, he's probably, <laughs> I'll, I'll mention to him the next time he's on the show. All right, good, good. <laughs> so deeper in the sanctum, uh, Jack Norris lies unconscious, and Val is starting to get some feeling for him deep in her soul. Don't do it, Val! And meanwhile, Hulk jumps out of the sanctum to go find Bambi, unaware of all the rest of the stuff that's been happening. <laughs> meanwhile, in downtown Manhattan, a flaming meteor crashes into a busy intersection, <laughs> and out of it walks... Uh, a little bald dude with, like, a suit and a suitcase. 
he makes some promotional sounding claims until the Hulk leaps up and attacks him, claiming that he stole Bambi. And it turns out he kind of did, because this nerdy little dude turns out to be Nebulon in disguise, who handily beats the Hulk. Like he does a thing where he catches the fi- where he catches Hulk's fist and then blasts him with the other hand and stuff. You know, Nebulon could have chosen a much better form than like some pokey-looking businessman. No, man. He uh, captures Hulk in like a bu- in like a magic bubble and just shoots him into space. <laughs> and then he turns back into the nerd form and starts handing out flyers to this seminar in a celestial mind control and the crowd just uh, eats it up you know if this were a dude in san francisco today nobody would pay attention to it's pretty funny man he hands out these flyers and he ends with like two blonde ladies like each taking one of his arms and being like "Ooh, i like your promotional uh, salesmanship it's crazy so uh the Hulk's been shot into space, and as always happens, the Hulk finds a way to resist being shot into space and crashes back down to Earth. Be aware, Illuminati members. Um, and when he does, from his crater that he lands in, he finds one of the Celestial Mind Control flyers and then runs back to the Defenders to sort of tell them about it. So the team shows up in the uh, at the seminar, it, magically incognito, though Val's sword still sets off a metal detector. And as the seminar starts, it's the nerdy disguised Nebulon in front of a curtain, and he gets angry fast. And he says that the whole audience, everyone everywhere, are all bozos. Get out of here, you bozos. And suddenly, the entire audience is wearing, like, Bozo the Clown mask, which is, like, basically white face, red nose, and, like, you know bald, but then the orange hair comes out of the side, basically. I feel like i got to describe it, because I don't know if someone who's like under 25 knows what Bozo the Clown represents, I guess. Yeah. There used to there, there, there used to be regional dudes that would dress up as Bozo the Clown and introduce Saturday morning cartoons. It's, oh, it's true. It doesn't make sense anymore. No, it doesn't. But so, Disguised Nebulon call, asks for a volunteer, and Doctor Strange is chosen, and Doctor Strange goes, goes up to the stage and gets called a bozo by a bunch of cheerleaders, and the guys held captive in that temple thing, including uh, Jack Hawk and uh, Chanby. It's very weird. Just this constant stream of people saying bozo. So... Apparently, this whole celestial mind control thing, and this is the second thing I consulted with my dad with, is <laughs> these. This is all apparently a a send up of a uh, Earnhard seminars training or EST, a series of self help seminars that were popular in like the late seventies and early eighties. Oh, that's why this seems familiar. Okay, yeah. so according to my dad, uh, <laughs> it was apparently the kind of thing that like um the kind of cynical jerk in your office would go to to feel justified about his cynical jerkishness. Right. That's a paraphrase, by the way. (laughs) Um, But it's got a lot of, like, radical honesty and not wasting time on unimportant stuff and unimportant people. Uh, It also showed up... uh, It also showed up, like, on the start of the third season of the show, The Americans. But I can't comment on that because I'm only halfway through the second season of that show. (laughs) But eventually, Doctor Strange tires of this bozo stuff and removes his mask. And Nebulon remembers him and turns back into Nebulon four minutes fight time. Though, before the fight starts, there's a pretty funny moment where Valkyrie and Hulk are getting ready to fight. And Val says, uh, Hella's ghosts, Nebulon! 
curse your abilities to recall names, Hulk. Like, she's she's so angry that Hulk didn't say like, hey, like there's a bad guy and it's Nebulon. He just said, hey, there's a bad guy and he's at this seminar thing. But just yelling at him for being unable to re- re- recall names is pretty funny, I think. So Chandu takes out the Defenders pretty easily. He sells it to the crowd as examples of his celestial mind control. Doctor Strange manages to put just puts a shield around Jackhawk and is about to turn his attention to Nebulon when both Nebulon and Chandi suddenly teleport away thanks to the evil magic eyes of the angry deer. Is this the start of a Nebulon headman alliance? We'll find out next issue in The Return of the Red Guardian. Are you there, Drew? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, good. I'm just trying to take in everything that I'm seeing right now because it's all just freaking crazy. It's good, right? Oh, man. And, like... The the cover of the next issue really isn't helping all that much either. <laughs> no. <laughs> comic books in the 70s were weird, man. I mean, I feel like this is the weirdest of the comic like, oh, I don't want to actually I don't want to I don't want to make bold claims, but no, this 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 cover this, is pretty out there. Yeah, it's a good this is a, I feel like this is a good representation of of comic books of the era. I mean, it's the era where Howard the Duck is the best-selling comic of all time, you know? Oh boy. Howard the Duck, by the way, written by Steve Gerber, appearing in next episode of the podcast. So, Defenders 35 from May 1976. And yeah, this is a cover that must be seen. I I can't even properly describe this to do this any sort of justice whatsoever. Just to, like, I can't. We'll get to it. I can't. I can't. (laughs) Okay. Bring back my body to me, to me. Steve Gerber writer, Sal Buscema, and Klaus Jansen artist, John Costanza letterer, Petra Goldberg, colorist, Marv Wolfman, editor. So this issue starts off with a pretty standard uh, mugging being stopped by a superhero scene, except for the fact that it's taking place in snowy Russia. Da! Da, it's good. Yeah, in Soviet Russia, superhero mugs you, but not this time. Uh, The superhero here is the Red Guardian, a lady in an all-red jumpsuit with white boots and gloves and her cowl open in the back to allow her flowing black hair to fly free. The cops, or whatever they call the cops in the USSR, I don't know, arrive, and she dips out, because apparently superheroes are not appreciated by the central government. She swings to her apartment, where her phone is ringing, and she reveals herself as Tanya Belinsky, famous neurosurgeon, and the call is coming from our buddies the Defenders in the U.S., Doctor Strange has apparently pulled some strings with the government and um, to get her to come to the U.S. to do the transplant of Nighthawk's brain back into his body. Meanwhile, uh, the Hulk is amped up to go find Nebulon and Bambi. While the Hulk stews, Strange magically sends Jack Norris's mind back to his body from Nighthawk's, and eventually Hulk just decides to leave and find Bambi on his own again as Valkyrie and Jack decide to follow him. Back at the uh, Headman's new HQ, uh, Gorilla Man, Arthur Nagin, has completed some new project to the delight of Ruby and the worried distrust or disgust of Shrunken Bones, Gerald Morgan. Suddenly, Nebulon and Chanbi teleport into the room. Nebulon is confused, and Chanbi identifies himself by writing, I am Chandu, in flaming letters on the wall. With his eye beams. Seriously. And apparently he has eye beams. It, it's like the, the angriest deer with eye beams. It's good, man. Don't mess with oh, them. Man. Uh, Nagin, Gorilla Man, 
grabs Chandi by the neck, and apparently his strength is so much that he's actually able to squeeze Chandu's spirit out of the head of Chandi, out of the head of Bambi. And the spirit then explains the situation, including that the last time Nighthawk was at the Headman HQ, it was actually one of the defenders in disguise. Meanwhile, Ruby suggests an alliance to Nebulon, who sort of pulls like a that time in Doctor Who with a Cyberman um, offered an alliance to the Daleks. And, and Nebulon's just like, I outclass you. I'm out of here. And teleports away. Um, he's got seminars to run, you know, yeah. self-help to be done. Yeah, he's got stuff to do. He's an important man with important things. Yeah, absolutely. Meanwhile, uh, the headmen have plans for Chanby. Don't worry. And we go to JFK Airport, where Stephen Strange and a State Department guy meet Dr. Belinsky and her Soviet handlers as a shadowy figure looks on. And I guess I'll mention here that uh, Tanya is actually the second Red Guardian, and this is her first appearance in the Marvel Universe. Uh, the original Red Guardian died back in the 60s, I think, and was uh, Black Widow's husband. So, you know, just be aware of the history, I guess. Right. Uh, so at the Central Park Zoo, the Hulk is street harassing some random deer. <laughs> and like on display in the cages and the cops are not pleased and come out shooting this forces valkyrie to do a pretty sweet halo jump off of aragorn the pegasus and she drop kicks hulk um as she tries to de-escalate the situation but the hulk sees this as a betrayal and jumps away over the horizon you go back to the headmen and they're finishing some sort of experiment uh chandu is no longer a deer now he's uh Ah, gross! Oh, God. <laughs> He's a big, crazy monster. I don't... Here, here's how Gerber describes it on the page, all right? Yeah. Crimson bat wings spread from his back. A hideous, twisted horn protrudes from his forehead. His teeth have become fangs. His tongue, that of a serpent. Clusters of lampreys have replaced his arms. At his legs end in feathers and knife-sharp talons. Yo, can we get uh, Angry Bambi back? He's a mess, man. Like, okay, I just want to preface this with drugs are bad. Really, really bad. Listen, all I'm saying is that if anybody transplants my brain to someone else and I'm away for a while, you do not have license to turn my arms into, like, four lampreys on each side, all right? I... Well, what was the creation process with this? I, I, I can't even begin. I mean, it's to me, it's pretty clear that uh, Nagin, the gorilla guy, he's big on transplants and stuff. Right. His experiments transplanting brains into apes made the apes smart enough to rebel and, in retaliation for the horrors he'd done, um, transplant his head onto a gorilla body. Sure. Why not? You know, and then I feel like he got egged on. Like, and so while he's previously been restrained... By um, by shrunken bones. What's his name? By a uh, Morgan. He's been like like Morgan seems like to be the light the uh, light side of the group, kind of being like, hey, like maybe you know we shouldn't replace that guy's legs with bird with bird legs. Maybe maybe we shouldn't create these nightmarish horrors. But no, let's just go ahead. And but anyway. but now Ruby's here, who like is not just evil but also like theoretically a pretty girl if you can get past the fact that she's basically got a dodgeball for her head uh, i feel like she's sort of agging him on to do some crazy super evil super science because sure why not because you know how nerds are man like they start performing if there's a pretty enough lady that's showing them attention that's how it goes <laughs> and in this case performing means 
putting a twisted unicorn horn on some dude's head. Creating these nightmarish beasts. Yes. Yeah. Chandu tries to attack Negan with cause, but he's restrained by Ruby and her gross um, octopus tentacles from her head. This, this, and she, sa- she says that uh, if he doesn't like this body, he should go find another one. This group seems big on the, the octopus ten- tentacles, either lampreys or octopus or whatever. She's pulling out those tentacles a lot. Like, that's kind of a one-trick pony, I guess. Yeah. So uh, as this happens, Doctor Strange and Belinsky prep for surgery, and then the monster Chandu grabs a construction worker off a build site for brain transplanting. Uh, Jack and Valkyrie are flying by, see Chandu doing this, and they give chase, resulting in a pretty good mid-air fight, I'd say, but ending with Aragorn the Pegasus being injured and Chandu and Val falling through the skylight of the Top of the Sevens, a rooftop eatery that, from my Googling at least, doesn't appear to have existed. Uh, but Val does defeat Chandu in this restaurant, but because of the damage done to it, Val gets arrested by some cops. Boo! Like, okay. So the, the cops are, like, not concerned at all with the nightmare beast that has fallen through the roof. I mean, I don't want to get, I don't want to get super, super um, political here, Drew, but uh, male privilege is that a man and a woman, one being a huge monster, fight in a restaurant and the woman is arrested for it. <sighs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah, now you see the violence inherent in the system. Ugh. Defenders 36 from June 1976, A Garden of Earthly Demise. Just, these are solid titles. I, I can't I can't even. I just, no. Uh, Steve Gerber, writer, Sal Buscema, and Klaus Jensen, artist, with a special assist from Mary Skrens, Joe Rosen, letterer, Klaus Jensen, colorist, Marv Wolfman, editor. So uh, the issue opens with Nighthawk freaking out and having a f- flashbacks about his own backstory and recent comic events eventually coming to with Tanya Belinsky standing over him. But before she can explain what's up, a trio of hoods and masks show up and try to kidnap Tanya, only for her to kick the crap out of them as Nighthawk passes back out. <laughs> Meanwhile, Doctor Strange causes an international incident by using the old Jedi mind trick on uh, the State Department guy and Tanya's handlers, letting her stay in the States for as long as she wants, unsupervised. And the hoods are taken away by the cops. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, Valkyrie's being booked into jail. Uh, Orange is the new Valkyrie, I guess. Sure, I guess. <laughs> so, on a, meanwhile, on a rooftop, Jack Norris defends a wounded Aragorn from the owner of the building of the roof they're on. The owner has a shotgun and is about to blast Aragorn when the Hulk shows up and drops this guy off the roof. Uh, to another roof one story down, don't worry. Hulk then grabs Jack and Aragorn and leaps for the nearest vet. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile uh, Stephen and Tanya get breakfast at a diner and marvel over a newspaper article about how much celestial mind control has taken off. Also seeing that newspaper story, ooh, it's mixing together, are a trio of former supervillains who show up at CMC headquarters to apply for work. One of them is Sam Smithers, who does not enjoy the whole being called a bozo constantly thing and heads out. But don't worry about him. He's got other plans. I'm just kind of wondering, like, what's the deal with the cheerleaders constantly following uh, Nebulon around everywhere? Calling everybody bozos? Yeah. Yeah. That I don't know, because that doesn't seem to be part of EST or whatever. 
I think that's just just to be weird, I guess. Sure. <laughs> so in jail, Valkyrie's having a pretty hard time. She's seemingly exhausted from the fight with Chandu and being arrested. And there's this big, like, bullish woman, as the comic describes her, who's being a huge jerk to Valkyrie. Valkyrie tries to strike back with her super strength, but this knocks her out more because of her inability to fight women. And it's bad times for Valkyrie. Luckily, if there's one thing I've learned from Netflix, it's that a pretty blonde lady will always rise to the top in a correctional institution. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Netflix. <laughs> Back at the Sanctum, uh, Stephen brings Tanya home and is clearly about to ask if the Russians have a word for swinging when the phone rings and he has to go. you you got you uh, to put that key party in hold there, Stephen. I guess. You know, it is the 70s, yeah. man. Uh, apparently, Kyle Richmond has vanished. He sends out a distress call, but Val is knocked out and Hulk is too concerned about Aragorn to answer. So Strange is on his own for this one. He flies to the hospital and sees a big vine leading to Kyle's room. But before he can investigate, the vine attacks him and he's knocked out. So it turns out that uh, Tanya, as the Red Guardian, is also investigating this. And we learn that Sam Smithers, the guy who rejected the CMC offer earlier, is actually the supervillain Plant Man. Ugh. We've seen Plant Man before, actually, on the first podcast, on the first episode of the podcast, when he menaced Johnny Storm with plants that shot walnuts like machine guns. Right, right. Now he's, yeah, now he's holding Kyle Richmond for ransom and has imprisoned Strange and the Red Guardian and Richmond in plant jail, basically. Next issue, the eel, the porcupine, and Power Man. Sweet Christmas. Nice. Oh, man. I always, I always appreciate a good Luke Cage cameo. Yeah, he's in the, you know, he's he's in here for a little bit. So we go to Defenders 37 from July 1976. Evil in Bloom. Steve Gerber writer, Sal Buscema and Klaus Johnson, or Jansen artist, Ray Holloway letterer, Don Warfield colorist, Marv Wolfman editor. So Aragorn is carried to the ASPCA building and the Hulk is freaking out, especially as the cops show up. And start shooting him. Apparently, he recently tore up a bunch of Ninth Avenue in an issue of Omega the Unknown that took place a few hours ago in Marvel Continuity. The Hulk, acting super erratic, beats up the cops, including a police helicopter, and then jumps away for good. Meanwhile, Jack hears some cops talking about the Kyle Richmond hostage situation and springs into action. Hey, speaking of which, uh, trapped in a plant prison with Red Guardian and an unconscious Kyle Richmond, Doctor Strange tries to magic himself free, but his magic craps out on him. How can this be? Sorcerer Supreme. Anyway. Yeah, man, it's just it's uh, just a plant. What the hell? Yeah, no, he's having serious magic problems. Uh, meanwhile, in one of those TV stores that always appear in movies and television, but never in real life, um, Jack finds out that the team is trapped in one of Plant Man's plant. Uh, giant plants, and he calls in the cavalry. Uh, and we smash cut to Luke Cage in his office being accosted by criminals. They aren't too happy about Cage's attempts to clean up Harlem, and he beats them pretty thoroughly before his phone rings. Um, and as he answers, he says, uh, the defenders again? Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> pretty funny. So Strange finally manages to get his magic working again and escapes the plant prison, and he and Red Guardian fight the crazy plant monsters until Luke Cage shows up in Rex's house. And eventually, the pair is free, 
when Kyle is safely teleported back to his hospital bed as Plant Man runs off. The uh, the plant monsters are pretty crazy. There's two. There's a whole like bunch of them that look like a little like coughings from Pokemon or something. They look like, like that. fuzzy grapes with eyes and angry faces. Yeah, it's awesome. <sighs> oh man. So so back at uh, Little Litchfield, the bully prisoner lady is totally pulling Valkyrie's braids while she sleeps and generally being a as huge a jerk as you can be. I've seen this movie. Yeah, especially because Valkyrie can't strike back because of her vow about har- about har- harming women. Uh, Plant Man arrives back at Celestial Mind Control HQ, where he agrees to join the team and is taken to a dark room, where his fellow supervillains, the guys from last issue, the uh, eel and the porcupine, are doing weird stuff with projections of their egos or something. I, I don't know. It's weird. And Plant Man is equally confused and not feeling this plan anymore. <laughs> He goes to leave, but Nebulon blasts him. So back at the hospital, everyone checks that Kyle is okay, and Kyle's is like, oh, like, hey, I'm rich. Like, Luke Cage, you're just on retainer. Don't even worry about it. Like, just be a professional superhero. We need a bruiser anyway, because the Hulk just left town for some reason. Uh, the rest of the team leaves as Kyle and Steven have a heart-to-heart about how much Kyle's mind has been blown by spending some time as a brain in a jar. Yeah, that must have been wild, man. Yeah, for further concerns about this, please take a Philosophy 101 class at your local college or university. (laughs) Uh, Strange manages to reassure Richmond about the relatively futile and meaningless existences all beings share as one humanity, and is then quite shocked to gassed in the face by the porcupine. Both the porcupine and Yeel have captured the team. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, man, we're all brains in jars anyway. Yeah. Like, that's your bra- a brain in a jar and a higher level of consciousness just is kismet, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Defenders 38, August 1976. Exiled to oblivion. Steve Gerber writer, Sal Buscema, and Klaus Johnson artist, or Jansen artist. Irving Watanabe letterer, Don Warfield colorist, Marv Wolfman editor. So this issue starts with Doctor Strange, Luke Cage, and Red Guardian waking up on a blasted hellscape as Nebulon informs them they have been um, marooned in an environment inhospitable to life. Doctor Strange's most powerful magic causes him to get hit by lightning from the environment, and the team ends up huddling in a cave for warmth, only to find the cave is also occupied by a big white ape-bear monster. Yes, uh, the ape-bear. I mean, as you do, really. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, back on Earth, Nighthawk wakes up and is informed by Jack Norris that the rest of the team has been kidnapped, but not Jack because he's obviously useless. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, why would Nighthawk, you, why would you cap- kidnap a useless dude and try to transport him to some hellscape? It's not going to be... It's not even worth the effort. Yeah, especially when he's dressed like an eggplant. Yeah. I'm just saying. Purple shirt, green pants, whatever. <laughs> uh, Nighthawk dresses in his Kyle Richmond clothes and the two head out to the rescue. Hey, speaking of needing a rescue, uh, Valkyrie is still in prison, yep. and the bully prisoner is making her life hell. Next issue, actually, they'll reveal that the bully prisoner's name is Felicia, so I'm going to start calling her that. Hi, Felicia! <laughs> uh, a minor food fight breaks out, and Val is taken away by the guards. Meanwhile, it's time for eight bear fighting. Uh, Doctor Strange's magic is once again shorting out for some reason, as it has been for the last couple issues. And this fight ends when finally Luke Cage thwomps the ape bear with a stalactite. 
Everyone takes a quick breather until suddenly Red Guardian is covered by a swarm of man-eating ants. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's terrible. Uh, Back in Manhattan, Nighthawk bursts through the front door of the Celestial Mind Control HQ, quickly beating up all the goons in pink suits and bozo masks. Uh, Nighthawk confronts the disguised Nebulon and walks through a door into the hellscape. The team is quickly able to find the doorknob to the room and return to Earth. And after bl- and then blow up a bunch of the bozos. But that's not all, as now the defenders are confronted by the eel and porcupine, the sort of the, the, the supervillains from last episode and stuff. And it's time for a big super fight, made all the more complicated by the arrival of the ape bear to Earth. Oh no! Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Stu and Sally, a pair of, tra- of trail guides, are going on a romantic date oh, in the Grand Canyon. Damn it. As they ride their donkeys down, they see a stereotypical Indian chief, complete with war bonnets, sitting at a campfire, smoking a pipe. The two go to investigate when the Indian reveals himself to be an elf with a gun. Blam! Conrad. So, Conrad. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What? I don't. So Doctor Strange's magic is still on the fritz, No, no, right? wait. <laughs> it's up to Luke Cage, Red Guardian, and a surprisingly efficient Nighthawk who manages to take down both eel and porcupine in one big drop kick. And then Doctor Strange manages to bind the eight bear in the crimson bands of Sidorak. And we end the issue with the team trying to figure out their next move. Next issue, riot in a women's prison. Or... B movies live or live one of those two <laughs> and we go to our final issue defenders 39 from february 19 or sorry from se- september we go to defenders 39 from september 1976 riot in cell block 12 steve gerber's script sal buscema layouts klaus jansen finished art gaspar saladino gene hip and herb Watanabe letterers Don Warfield, colorist, Archie Goodwin, editor. The editor go round, changes again, and Archie Goodwin takes the helm. He's mostly well um, known for an editor as securing the Star Wars license for Marvel, but he'll be out by like 1977 to make way for Jim Shooter. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so we open on the Sanctum Sanctorum as Doctor Strange meditates to, figures out, to figure out what's wrong with his powers. Meanwhile, the rest of the team, including Jack Norris, uh, meets back up and uh, recaps the last couple issues to each other, finally concluding with like, hey, has anyone seen Valkyrie recently? Uh-oh, <laughs> that doesn't seem good. And the team goes out to look for her. At the prison, Valkyrie is taken to the warden's office. He kind of tries to put the moves on her. You know, and that's that, not skeezy at all. I mean, this is not a good prison. I want to be clear about that. This is clearly a bad well, prison. of course it's a bad prison. And Valkyrie then throttles him across the room. In punishment, Val is sent to, quote, back to the high power block and put her to work. What? I don't know. Back on the street in Manhattan, Luke Cage and Red Guardian are in full costume and on the lookout for Val. Luke Cage see a blonde, sees a blonde lady that looks like it might be Valkyrie from behind, and the, uh, but it's just some lady, and the lady's boyfriend isn't very happy about this situation because he's like a hot-headed racist, basically, <laughs> and he pulls a knife on Luke Cage. Yeah, that's like, and, uh, never doesn't end well for him. It doesn't. Yeah, I mean, the knife breaks on Luke Cage's invulnerable skin, and Cage has the Red Guardian take him out because he's worried that he's so angry he'll just kill the dude. So 
uh, Red Guardian like punches him right in the in the gut, and he passes out. So I guess go back to work at the high power cell block or something means that Val is back um, in her cell block, and she's got to scrub the floors. I've seen this movie seriously. <laughs> Um, like in front of all the prisoners and stuff, Valkyrie refuses to do it. And then the warden gets handsy again and Val like punches him out basically. And so she's off to solitary. So after a quick interlude where Nighthawk confirms the headman's old base is still destroyed, we cut back to Valkyrie who's decided that enough is enough. And she's just going to use her super strength and break out of prison. Screw this. She rams the door of her cell of her prison cell open and, wanders around the prison for a bit, and then realizes the other prisoners are rioting too. Attica! 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 Attica. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, Nighthawk, in Kyle Richmond clothes, decides to talk to a lawyer friend. And we find out that Valkyrie is indeed in custody. She could get out right away if Kyle posts veil, and there wasn't a riot. (laughs) Yeah, prison riots kind of complicate things. It's true. At the prison... Felicia's making demands, and Val is not stoked about this whole riot thing. Eventually, she asks Felicia in the warden's office if she, Valkyrie, can make a phone call. Felicia says no, and starts trying to fight Valkyrie, as Valkyrie just sort of takes there and, or stands still and takes it. A knife is drawn. Showdown. Outside the prison, uh, Jack, Clea, Luke, Red Guardian, and Nighthawk are making a plan. It's not a complicated one. <laughs> Clea basically creates a big flash of light that's a distraction while the team busts into the prison. Bing, bang, boom. Uh, meanwhile, Valkyrie and Felicia get into a fight. Felicia, uh, Felicia uses a bunch of weapons, like a knife and then a chair and stuff. And Val manages to triumph because she's able to manipulate the objects instead of actually touching Felicia which manages to break Val's curse through mystical legal mumbo-jumbo, I guess. Sure, why not? I mean, it doesn't make sense why it hurts when she uses an object to attack some females, like with her sword and stuff, but I'm not going to... It doesn't pay to ask these questions, basically. Whatever. She's beaten. Bye, Felicia. Oh, you were waiting the entire time for that one, weren't you? I I said hi, Felicia, earlier. I was setting it up, buddy. Oh, man. It was just ons in my game. At this point, uh, the defenders burst in... And everybody feels kind of bad about, like, the prospect of having to beat up all these female prisoners that are rioting. Um, And especially when it's clear that this is, is in fact, a pretty crappy prison. So instead, the defenders vow that they'll clean up the place. Luke Cage apparently has a specific uh, prison reform rap that he will lay on you if you don't support the plight of inmates. (laughs) That's what he says. I I see it. I nope. do. That it's, ni- it's 1976, so it's just a talk. It's not like an actual musical performance. Okay. So I want to be clear about that. Yeah. All right. So actually, that's kind of a decent ending. I mean, they kind of agree to de-escalate and stuff. Yeah. So it could be worse. Anyway, next week, The Assassin with No Name. And that's where we stop for tonight. Drew. Yes. What did you think about this week's issues? So much drugs. I love this Defenders arc, man. So much is happening at once, and everything that's happening is insane. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, there's there's multiple brain transplants, strange personality cults, uh, women in prison. <laughs> what more could you ask for? Psychic deers. Um, Psychotic psychic deers. Uh, and also an elf with a gun. Can, can we go back to that for a second? What? No, there's also like red fishmen and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> awesome. More next week. Uh, 
If you'd like to contact the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com or interact with the show on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Stranger by the Dozen, on Twitter at Stranger by the Twelve, at Stranger by the One Two, and on Tumblr at strangerbythedozen.tumblr.com. During the week, I'll post a bunch of images from the issues that we covered this week, so keep an eye out. There's some really great stuff this week. Oh boy, is there ever. Stranger by the Dozen is on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and any other podcast app. And remember, if you leave a five-star review on any platform, I will read it on the show. If you want to contact Drew and tell him how wrong about he is about everything ever, find him on Twitter at Neo of the Dark. Yeah, let's let's have deep discussions about psychic, psychotic deers. It's good. They got eye beams. On next week's issue, Valkyrie gets a new outfit. We settle the hash of both Nebulon and the Headmen. We go to superhero court with Spider-Man and Iron Man. We go through the five stages of grief with the Hulk. And we're... Following and we follow it up with a return to more conventional superheroics, for better or for worse. How are the Duck guest stars? Oh my God! Until next time, faithful listeners, I say, cloistered in a tiny garret of his Greenwich Village sanctum, Doctor Strange kneels, and the hunt begin. The prey, some clue to the recent unreliability of his magic, the leering faces of his enemies taunt him from worlds unseen. Their evil would triumph on earth if his quarry eludes him. So he prowls on, deeper into the maze of his mind, past the veil of the unconscious, leaving a mere sensory reality ever so far behind him. My name is Conrad, and for my buddy Drew, this is Stranger by the Dozen. May the Vishanti guide your path.